But we are continuing our sermon series in the book of Acts, and we are following the programmatic spread of the gospel that Luke spelled out at the beginning of his book. In the first chapter of Acts, Luke uh, records Jesus telling his disciples that they are to be his witnesses in the world as he makes the case that he alone is God, the true God, and that everything else that humanity worships is hopeless or powerless. Jesus begins making his case in Jerusalem, and from there it spreads into Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the world, to to you and to me. And the first 12 chapters of Acts were spent in Jerusalem, but when we came to chapter 13, there was a, a shift that took place. We left Jerusalem with Barnabas and Paul, and as they were sent into the world to begin the process of bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, to you and to me. And last week we found Paul in Athens arguing with the philosophers in that influential city about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And God so shapes Paul's story so that wherever he goes, there are people who are ready to hear the gospel and receive it with gladness. Even in Athens, where he was mocked by many, there were some in that city, even some influential men and women that had ears to hear him. And in this latter half of Acts We're following around Paul and Barnabas, Silas and Timothy, Priscilla and Aquila, Peter and Apollos, but reading their stories, one develops the understanding that these men and these women are not the main actors. God is. They go where God sends them, and when they arrive there, they find that God has already been at work in the hearts of the people. And nowhere is this made more explicit than in chapter 18, verses 9 through 10, where God encourages Paul to remain, to remain in Corinth. God tells Paul, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. I have many in this city who are my people. In this world, God has claimed a people for himself. Some of them are known to us, because They have heard the gospel and responded to Jesus in faith and baptism, the visible church. But God also has people in this world that he alone knows. They're hidden from our eyes. They're lying and waiting, and they are waiting to hear the gospel from your lips and to experience the gospel from your hands. And so God creates in our hearts this sense of expectancy for what he might be doing at any moment. He cultivates hope in us that the person we are speaking with might belong to him, and neither they nor we even know it yet. So all of these women and men in Acts walk around the Greco-Roman world with great expectancy every time they open their mouths to tell people about Jesus. And it's an expectation we should share. And this morning we find that God has led Paul to an unusual group of people. Paul experiences this unusual group of people in the same way that we experience someone who pulls out of their pocket or purse a flip phone to make a phone call, or still watches movies on a VCR, or whose car windows open and close via hand crank, or who uses a phone book for anything other than kindling to get a fire going in their backyard. I'm not trying to provide commentary on whether where we are now is better or worse than where we were 10 or 20 or 30 years ago, but merely to say that flip phones and phone books tend to be greeted with astonishment and questions like, what decade are you living in? Or do you also still drive a horse and buggy? 
I'm not asking those questions. I'm just saying that's the response this stuff gets. And it's probably not too dissimilar from what Paul experienced when he happened across this group of people in our story this morning. Paul is traveling on back roads on his way to the city of Ephesus. He's in the country. And he stumbles upon what Luke says is a group of disciples. We read disciples, and we tend to automatically conclude that these are the disciples of Jesus. These are Christians, right? But the term disciples on its own does not demand that these are Jesus' disciples. John the Baptist had disciples too. And in two places in Luke's gospel, John's disciples are referred to using the same word that is used to describe the people in our passage this morning. And scholars are divided on the identity of these people. and We're going to try to piece it out to the best of our ability. Because if we can understand them better, then we'll also understand the power of the gospel better. Some say these are Jesus' disciples. Some say they are John's. And one scholar helpfully points out that for Luke, if one is without the Spirit, then one is not a Christian. And such a position seems to be reinforced throughout the rest of the New Testament. If you have Paul, you have Paul in Romans 8 saying, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And Paul, again, in 1 Corinthians 12, saying, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And you have John in the third chapter of his first letter explaining that by this we know that God abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. A solid argument can therefore be made that these people were disciples of John the Baptist, not Jesus. For when Paul asked them if they had received the Holy Spirit, they reply in verse 2, No, we didn't even know there is a Holy Spirit. They didn't know the Holy Spirit. But they did know John the Baptist. In fact, they had been baptized by John. They they tell Paul this at the end of verse 3. But if they knew John, then they they had to have heard of the Holy Spirit. For John himself in, in Luke 13, uh, in Luke 3, 15 through 16, describes his ministry as baptizing with water. But then he says, one is going to come after me, whose sandals I'm not worthy to even untie. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John the Baptist preached about the Holy Spirit all the time. So how can these people have received John's baptism and still claim to not even know about the Holy Spirit? It's probably not the case that they didn't know that the Holy Spirit existed, but that by saying, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit, they're showing that they're unaware that the Holy Spirit had come. They were waiting for Him, but didn't realize He had already come. These seem to be a people who got lost in transition. They fell in the cracks of salvation history, as it were, between John the Baptist and Jesus. They were frozen in time, like the person watching their favorite movies on VHS. And you can almost hear Paul's confusion with them as he asks them questions, attempting to figure out what in the world they believe theologically. And the picture that forms from this conversation is that these people now living in the countryside outside of Ephesus are disciples of John the Baptist, but had either moved or returned to the countryside before Jesus came along and began his ministry. If you remember anything about John the Baptist... His ministry was one of preparation. He described his ministry by quoting from the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the ways of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. 
He was paving the way for Jesus. And John was preparing a people for him. He preached repentance and he baptized them as a sign of that repentance. He warned them of of coming judgment and he provoked great anticipation in their hearts. They all asked him, what shall we do? And he answered by telling them to get themselves ready. Because God was going to send someone who would baptize them not with water, but with the Holy Spirit and with fire. It would be Jesus. Jesus was going to come and the world would be divided in their opinion of him. His coming would soften the hearts of some and harden the hearts of others. Your response to Jesus is a matter of life and death. And John was trying to get people ready through repentance to respond to him. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The disciples of John were full of anticipation, but the people in our story this morning never had the privilege of experiencing the fulfillment of their anticipation. They moved to the countryside before Jesus, the fulfillment, arrived. There they were in the remote countryside, living as disciples of John the Baptist, but were insulated from the stories of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. They were still waiting for the mightier one that John promised would come, even though he had already come. It was almost like Paul stumbled upon them on January 1st, and they're sitting there staring at their wrapped presents under their Christmas tree, discussing how excited they are for Christmas to come. It's no wonder Paul's confused by them, scratching his head. And to clear up the confusion, Paul tells them that Christmas has already come. Verse 4 tells us that Paul told the people to believe in the one who was to come after John the Baptist. That is Jesus. Luke did not record the entire conversation between Paul and this people, but the point Paul was trying to make was that the mightier one John had prepared them to receive was Jesus Christ, and he has come. Not only has he come, but everything John said about him proved to be absolutely true. They're disciples of John. And in Luke 3.16, John taught them that the one to come will be mightier than I, he said. He'll be more noble, more important, more powerful than me. And I'm not worthy to even untie the strap of his sandals. I'm not worthy to even take off his shoes. And he was absolutely right. For Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. The king of not just Israel, but of the entire world. All that is true of God is true of Him because He is God. He knows all things, sees all things, and is perfectly pure. Who of us in our sin and guilt would dare to approach such a man, let alone touch him to untie his laces and serve him in that humble way? We have no right to stand before him. He's mightier than all of us, not just John. They're disciples of John, and in Luke 3.17, John tells them that Jesus comes to judge the world. His winnowing fork is in his hand, he writes, to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Jesus is the man whom the Father has appointed to serve as judge of the world. He's innocent, pure, and just. He's the perfect judge. And yet, he is gracious and compassionate and full of love. 
And so he deferred God's judgment in himself and opened up a window of time for us, a window in which you and I live in this very moment when we have the opportunity to avoid God's judgment and wrath by merely believing in Jesus, merely believing that John's testimony about Jesus was true. He is the judge, the compassionate and gracious and loving judge. They're disciples of Jesus, or they're disciples of John the Baptist. And in John 1.29, John announced that, the, that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Blood had to be shed for our disobedience. And it was either going to be our blood or some sort of sacrifice in our place. And so for centuries, the Jewish people sacrificed bulls and goats as sacrifices in their place to to keep the wrath of God from consuming them. But the blood of bulls and goats was insufficient. The The eternal God was offended. And only the blood of God himself could satisfy the need for justice. That's why Jesus became a human being. He took on flesh so that he could bleed for you. God provided for himself a sacrifice that would satisfy him. Jesus was God sacrificed. He was the Lamb of God and he was sacrificed in our place. His death was sufficient to bring about forgiveness for the entire world and everyone who hears about Jesus and says with all their heart, soul, and mind and strength, I trust him. They find forgiveness in him. In Him, Christians are ushered into a world of grace. They no longer await a verdict to be read against them when they die. But in Jesus, they await the inheritance of a world, a physical world, no less, of blessedness and bliss and rest. They were disciples of John the Baptist. And in Luke 3.16, John taught us about the guarantee that the Christian has of the future world the Holy Spirit. The man that John was paving the way for baptizes not with water for repentance, but with the Holy Spirit for redemption. In Ephesians 1, the Apostle Paul writes that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of the Christian's inheritance. Other translations say that the Holy Spirit is the down payment, meaning there's more to come. God takes up residence in us now in order to assure that we will live with Him forever. God adopts us as his children and fills us with the spirit of adoption so that our hearts cry out to him, Father. And the Holy Spirit begins in this life the lifelong work of preparing us to live with a holy God for all of eternity. The Spirit opposes our flesh and leads us into further victory over Satan, a wounded and defeated enemy. The Spirit makes us look more and more and more like Jesus. Jesus is the goal for the Holy Spirit as he was for John the Baptist. Everyone and everything is pointing to him. And as these people, these most unusual people, believe in Jesus, they are fulfilling John's work in their lives. He created anticipation, and that anticipation is satisfied in Jesus. And through their experience, we learn of the hope of knowing him. It's a hope that we share as we come to Jesus. Following John the Baptist, his people emptied themselves. They were constantly repenting in view of coming judgment. But in Jesus, we are filled in the Holy Spirit. 
for the judgment has already come. Here at First Pres, we frequently talk of sacrifice. Regularly, I remind you that your lives are not your own to do with what you want. Therefore, we must sacrifice ourselves for the sake of Jesus and the spread of the gospel. But Jesus does not leave his children empty. No, he fills us. The Christian life is not one of running on empty, but running on full. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are filled with divine power in our battle against sin. We are filled with the assurance that no matter how much sin lingers in our bodies, we are daughters and sons of the living God, heirs to an imperishable, undefiled, and unfading inheritance. We are filled with a song and a reason to sing. And we are located, along with this unusual group group of people, smack dab in the middle of the ever-expanding story of salvation in this world. They were in the middle of nowhere. But in the kingdom of God, there is no nowhere. Everywhere is somewhere, because God is everywhere. And His kingdom permeates His whole world. He has children everywhere some visible to the naked eye, and other waiting and hiding for someone to tell them about the man that they have been waiting for but didn't know it was Jesus. Luke provides the unnecessary detail that Paul was speaking with 12 people. And most scholars see no significance in this aside, but it was not necessary for Luke to indicate this detail. And 12 is absolutely a significant number. It's the number of Jesus' apostles. It's the number of the tribes of Israel. God works in twelves. And so this people who had fallen between the cracks, nobodies you might say, this people who were insignificant by the world's standards and behind the times, this people who were lost in transition are elevated to be nothing short of God's witnesses in this world as He makes Jesus known and fills the world with His Holy Spirit. The number of apostles, a word word that simply means sent ones, is growing. And it includes you. If you believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world and are filled with His Holy Spirit, no matter where you live, Manhattan or Milwaukee, St. Louis or Chicago, Salem Springs or Little Rock, there the kingdom of Jesus Christ is expanding in order to fill the world. There the Holy Spirit is at work. It's a work that begins in your heart and spreads to the world through your mouth and your hands, there are people waiting to hear from you that only God knows. So go in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and tell them about Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.